Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. Three decisions you have to make in 2024 if you're going to guarantee that this year is your best year yet. And I need to restate this almost every time I talk about having your best year yet or your best days are yet ahead of you because a lot of people think that God uh, has some sort of graph for your life that it's kind of parabolic in the sense that it goes really high and then it drops down and then it goes up again and it drops down. The graph that God has for your life is exponential. It is not parabolic. It's not ups and downs. It's I start low, but as I continue with God, I keep moving up. I keep increasing. The path of the just, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, the path of the upright, the just, shines brighter and brighter even unto that perfect day. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus said himself, fear not, little flock, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. God wants to give you the fullness of what he has. And he's not waiting to give it to you when you get to heaven. He wants to give it to you now. The scripture makes it clear. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, the Lord made him to prosper. That word prosper literally means to be thrust forward with all one's might. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God increased him. God prospered him. Now, you go and decide to do your own thing and make your own choices. There is a way that seems right unto men. Its end is the way of death. But the way of the upright is like a highway. If you try to do things your own way and just live life by trial and error, and, uh, you know, this is how my family's always done it, this is how my father always did it, but it's not biblical, then you can't complain when life doesn't give you what you want. Life does not give you what you deserve. Life gives you what you demand. And your demand is based upon the choices that you make. Your life is going to be the, uh, the product of the quality choices that you make. Your life is going to be the product of the quality choices that you make on a daily basis and on a yearly basis. If you choose, you know, Frank Sinatra, he had that song, I did it my way. I'm sure that's the anthem of hell. I did it my way. I'm sure that's what people are singing in hell right now. I did it my way. Because you can do it your way. But you're on your own. Cursed is the man who puts his trust in his own flesh. But blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the riverbank that never goes backward. Hallelujah. Let's make that confession at the onset of this broadcast. I'm moving forward, never backward. I'm moving forward, never backward. The path that God has for your life and the trajectory that he has set out for you, get this in your spirit today, is that of upward and forward and onward. He has no plans to decrease you. He has no plans to make you smaller. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. When it is sown, it increases it moves, it grows. It's like a seed sown. Then first comes the blade. Then comes the head of the grain. And then the full head in the grain. And then the, harvest com the farmer comes and harvests it all up. So that's how life is supposed to be for the righteous. The Bible makes it clear. The righteous, the righteous are like a palm tree 
that flourish. The righteous are like a cedar in Lebanon, Psalm 92, that grows stronger and stronger. Uh, Moses said it this way, as for the righteous, as their days are, so shall their strength be. Hallelujah. I'm not pl making plans for failure. I'm not making plans for regression. I'm not making plans for depression. I'm making plans for increase. I'm cooperating with God in faith, preparing for what he has for me in the future. Can you say amen? And so, starting off on what we're talking about today, three decisions you must make in 2024 in order to understand or in order to uh, essentially Understand what we're going to talk about today. You need to first understand that your life is the product of the decisions that you make. If you, if you are a frivolous person, what is a frivolous person? Frivolity essentially means to live life as it comes and as it goes. Frivolity means to just take it as it comes and uh, essentially assume a state of passivity in life where you just are coasting. You're just, you're just going with the flow. That's what frivolity is. I'm going with the flow. You know, a dead fish will follow the current of, of life. When you have dead spiritual life, you're going to just follow the current of life. But when you've got life in you, when there's Holy Ghost fire in you, you're not just flowing with the current. You're, you're making moves to cause life to produce for you, to cause things to produce for you, to be fruitful in everything that you do and everything you put your hand to. A dead fish will go in whatever direction the current takes it in, but a living fish can flow upstream. And God, God has made you a living fish. Remember, you know, Jesus said we're fishers of men, fishers of men. So in a sense, you're kind of like a fish in God's economy. But when you were dead in your sin, the Bible makes it clear that we were uh, under the power of the prince of the air and were subject to whatever the devil dictated for our lives. I mean, what he said went. We were under his government, under his regime of tyranny. But when we got saved, God put his life in us. Now we're Holy Ghost rebels. Now we are revolutionaries not revolting against government and revolting against politics and all that. We're revolting against the plan of the devil concerning us, concerning our generation, and concerning our families. Hallelujah. You're a Holy Ghost rebel. Yeah, I pray God raises up more rebels in the land. And I don't mean rebels of, you know, uh, order and rebels of, you know, when I'm not trying to raise up Che Vigueras over here. I'm not trying to raise up Fidel Castro's and people that are going to rebel against uh, against free market and stuff. I'm talking about rebels in the spirit that don't just accept things as they come, that don't just bend over and, and just play dead, bow down at any inclination of pressure coming their way, that don't just go with the flow and follow the trend, the political, societal, or Hollywood trends of this world, but people that carry a spiritual backbone. No, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. We're not doing, we're not, I don't care what's popular. I don't care what's trendy. I don't care what TikTok finds as trendy. I don't care if twerking's still trendy. I don't care if, uh, what are they doing now on TikTok? There's all, they had the Tide Pod Challenge at one point. 
kids sniffing pod, kids sniffing glue. You, you look at what's considered trendy. I, I don't want any of it. I want, and we have people in studio today that God's going to use mightily to start Holy Ghost trends on social media. Because, and that's what God wants. You have all kinds of stupid trends going on on social media. How about we get the Holy Ghost trending on social media? How about we get revival trending on social media? How about we get righteousness trending on social media? How about we get attending church on Sunday morning with our hands lifted in service and worship to God trending on social media? I believe that's what we're going to see because the church is not going out as a ripped up institution that has no order and is totally ineffective in its assignment. God is coming back for a glorious bride. And we're part of that bride. You're part of that bride. So there's decisions you need to make if you're going to position yourself to in these last days be someone of impact, of change, and a force to be reckoned with on the earth. And I'm going to say it again. It's up to you. It's your choice. People that are bold in God are not people that God randomly selected and said, you know what, I'm going to give them a little more boldness as I make up their uh, DNA. No. People that are bold in God and people that God sees as highly usable are people who've made basically these three decisions that we're going to get to today. Before I read... We get into it. I want, I want to read this scripture. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. See, see what I mean? God's desire is for you to live and multiply. Live and multiply. That's not even just addition. That's multiplication. That's violent increase. That's exponential increase. He doesn't want you just to, to coast in life and just kind of stay out of the way and, and, and have minimal impact on the earth. He wants you to not only live. There's a lot of people that are just living. They've got breath. They've got a beat in their heart. They've got a pulse. But God has way more plans for you than to just give you a pulse. If God's given you a pulse, it's proof that he desires you to multiply. If God has given you a pulse, it's proof that he has a desire for you to multiply. It doesn't just say that you might live. You might just barely get along. The Bible makes it clear. In Psalm 91, I'll give you long life that is satisfying. A long, satisfying life. There's a lot of people who are old and they're living, but there's no fruit to show for it. God doesn't want you just to live and be alive. God wants you to be on a path of perpetual increase and multiplication. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're going to. But don't, if your heart turns away so that you don't hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today, you will perish. You'll not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. I want you to write this in the comment section. Life is a choice. Life is a choice. You have to choose life. 
You have to choose, even in terms of salvation. God, did, God, didn't, um, uh, God didn't send Jesus for him to shed his blood, and then, like robots, he, he, he like forcefully makes you choose him. Even salvation is your choice. The Bible makes it clear. If you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and choose to confess with your mouth, not Jesus is Savior, but Jesus is my Lord, meaning I'm going to follow him in everything he calls me to do, then you will be saved. Only then will you be saved. So salvation's a choice. The Bible says God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Some are perishing. Why? Because they have chosen the broad way that leads to destruction. So salvation is a choice. Life is a choice. Blessing is a choice. I call heaven today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants will live. You need to take life seriously in 2024. You cannot, I'm telling you, as the end time drama picks up, which we're seeing that Matthew 24 is playing out before our eyes in real time. Matthew 24 is essentially 2023, 2024, 20, I mean the last 20 years essentially of newspaper written in advance. Prophecy is written, is history written in advance and we are now seeing that history take place. We're seeing the wars, rumors of wars. We're seeing famines and pestilences, viral, viral outbreaks in global proportions. We're seeing uh, the love of many growing cold, which Jesus prophesied would happen in Matthew 24. What does that mean? Everybody's offended by everybody. Love of many growing cold. Everybody's unforgiving, unmerciful. Everybody's bitter. I mean, have you gone to a drive-through Dunkin' Donuts recently? It, it, it's like they're mad that you even showed up. There's people that are, that are in this generation that are fulfilling directly that prophecy that Jesus spoke of in, Rome, in Matthew 24, where there's the love of many growing cold, many are offended at one another, and lawlessness increases. What is lawlessness? Uh, read Romans 1. Romans 1 tells us exactly what the dep what, at what depths the depravity of man can truly get to. Romans 1 is an, uh, an explanation of the full depravity of man. How far in darkness man can actually run to. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We're seeing that in this day. We're seeing the truth being suppressed. You look at media nowadays. Media is essentially just the devil's suppression device to make sure that truth doesn't get out. Or if truth gets out, the facts are all maligned. The facts are all twisted and crooked. There's a big at attempt to remove truth from before the people's eyes so that everybody's in darkness. And that's exactly where the devil operates best, in darkness. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, we are to have no part with the unruly works of darkness, but we're to expose it. We're to shine light on it. We're to bring truth out of deception. Jesus said in the last days, part of the lawlessness is going to be an increase in suppression of truth in unrighteousness. What it, why are they suppressing the truth? Because they desire to continue to live unrighteous lives. 
to live godless lives. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that people are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They professed to be wise, but instead became utter fools." And that's what we're seeing today too. You have essentially the most educated generation of all time. And yet simultaneously the most foolish generation of all time. Educated in that we have information galore at the touch of a touchscreen iPhone. You can go on Google and type in anything and it'll pull up history, facts, science, everything that we know in humanity uh, is at the touch of a button. We can have direct access. I mean, Paul, the apostles, nobody had access to that, which is a direct fulfillment of Daniel chapter 12's prophecy that in the last days, knowledge will increase and many will go to and fro, meaning travel on the earth is going to increase and knowledge is going to increase. Why is knowledge increasing? Because we have more than ever, an easy access to information. More than ever. They profess to be wise, but in all the bombardment of information, it actually caused the minds of people to be increasingly darkened and foolish. It's like the wiser they got, the more information they received, the more it was evident that man cannot handle that much information. It does man no good. And they changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image of a corruptible man. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creator of the creature rather than a creator. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. So we're seeing this increasingly deprived society, moral degradation. Romans 1 is the... Uh, explanation of what would happen as lawlessness, lawlessness increases in the last days that there would be a moral degradation until man eventually comes to the fullness of depravity that sin brings people into. And then you read it. Men were filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, evil-mindedness, whispers. They became haters of God, violent, proud, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy. So the end-time drama is ramping up. You're seeing all those things increase at a rate never before seen in humanity before. There's an increase of distress amongst nations. There's an increase of rumors of wars. So more than ever, all this to say, it's the most important time for you and for me to build a proper biblical mentality as to who we are and how we're going to live in these days of testing before the testing comes to fullness. Because you can't wait to get to the battlefield before you start preparing. Nobody does that. You don't see the United States Army 
waiting to be deployed before they finally pick up a gun and start doing target practice and learning how to drive tanks and learning how to fly AC-130 airplanes and F-15 fighter jets. They train ahead of time so that when the battle does come, there's a, a fluidity, there's an easiness, there's a facilitation of things. There's no, there's no issue. There's a backbone, there's a strength, there's an excellence, there's a skill. That's what I want to do on this broadcast today. Impart a spiritual, battle-minded mentality that no matter what comes onto the earth, I have made up my mind and I have made three decisions that essentially are going to cause me to endure to the end. Remember, the Bible says in the midst of all that happening in Matthew 24 and 2 Timothy 3, talking about in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will become lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, all these things. And yet, there is three things that you can decide to do today that will guarantee that you don't get sucked into that vortex but that you're one that truly, like Jesus says, endures to the end. Number one, I will not bow. Number one decision you need to make for 2024 to be the best year you ever had, no matter what comes on the wicked, no matter what time of testing comes onto the earth, you have to make up your mind. And it's not your parents doing it for you, and it's not pastor doing it for you because my pastor is consecrated. I go to a good church. You can go to the best church on planet earth until you make up your mind. I will not bow. Then you'll continue to be tossed to and fro by every wind and every trickery of the enemy. Write that in the comment section. There you go, Joanne, Emily, Riley. I will not bow. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll tell you a quote by uh, Sir William Booth, General William Booth who was a, the founder of the Salvation Army back in the 1800s, a mighty man of God who did great things for the kingdom. He wrote this in the 1800s. He said, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Jesus Christ, forgiveness without repentance, Salvation without rebirth, politics without God, and heaven without hell. There is an antichrist spirit in this age that John already said. If you read 1 John chapter 4, he said there are many antichrist spirits that are already in the world. Well, if they were in the world during John's day, and you, you hear uh, in John's letters... In Revelation, you see Jesus giving him messages to different churches where essentially Jesus is trying to sift out the deception that had crept into certain churches. There were churches that were literally falling victim to Antichrist voices in that generation. Well, if they had the Antichrist voices in that generation, don't, don't think that that demon of deception has been snatched up and is no longer operating on the earth. No, we're still, though we walk in flesh and blood, we're, we're not warring against flesh and blood. We're still warring against spiritual powers of wickedness in heavenly places. And so as William Booth said, I Christ voices actually find their way into the church. And the result of it is, and he prophesied this, the chief danger would be 
Religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Essentially, men holding to a form of godliness but denying the power that distinguishes Christianity from every other religious institution on planet Earth. So you hear Paul warning us. Look at this. This is 200 years ago. It's not, this isn't like a, a, an epistle of, of Peter I just read. This is 200 years ago. And William Booth, who I consider to be a prophet because of what he said, he's warning that the Antichrist spirit is going to try to get the church to bow out of what the early church carried and into this counterfeit version of Christianity that carries absolutely no power to help anybody. Daniel 3, the same thing happened in Daniel's age. Nebuchadnezzar, let's read the story. Daniel 6, my bad. No, sorry, Daniel 3. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews, and they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down, shall bow down, and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in to the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid any attention to you. Hallelujah. They don't serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave commands to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image which you've set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you bow down and worship the image, then good. But if you don't worship, you're going to be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and which God will deliver you from my hands? So you notice, King Nebuchadnezzar upped the pressure, increased the intensity, put up the, 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 the pressure, essentially, on their shoulders to get them to bow. He increased the pressure. See, before, the only pressure was there was an announcement from some low-level official telling everyone to bow. They paid no attention, but notice that when they paid no attention, the devil didn't leave them alone. He upped the ante. He increased the consequences. He, in, he indeed made it a, a more consequential penalty if they didn't bend their knee. And what, did they, what was their reply? You know, before we did it, you know, we didn't bow before, but, you know, nobody saw us. Now that we're getting people's attention, we should try to, you know, God loves us better alive than dead, so we might as well just bow. We'll, tie our, we'll cross our fingers behind our back. You know, God sees our heart. That's not what they did. They made, they already, you know, there's an old, there's an African proverb that says, the man who says, 
if I perish, I perish, will never perish. The man who says, if I perish, I perish, will never perish. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had already made up their minds that if they perish, they perish. They had already made up their mind that they were not going to bow, no matter the pressure, no matter the consequence, no matter the penalty. And so even when the penalty became more severe, look at how they replied. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known, made known to you, we'll never serve your gods, nor will we ever worship the golden image which you have set up. And, you know, you see here a very, like, real attempt to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to disown God and recant their faith. And, you know, we might not have, especially in America or Canada or Western nations, you don't have anybody really coming to you with a gun in your, their hand telling you, you know, deny Jesus. But there are agendas that are being pushed in our world, in our age, in our nations that essentially are the exact same thing talked a bit before about the agenda that the enemy has in the church to abandon the Holy Ghost, to abandon Christ, to abandon repentance, to abandon the true message of salvation, to abandon the uh, essence, the essentials of the gospel. That's an agenda that they even discuss at the World Economic Forum. To get churches to not Believe in the miraculous parts of the Bible. Don't, we don't talk about the virgin birth. We don't talk about the miracles. We don't talk about repentance. We don't talk about Holy Spirit. We can talk about the love of God. We can talk about do good to your neighbor. But start teaching. In your, the, there were Southern Baptist preachers that attended the convention last year that that's what they were instructed to do. Get tongues. Don't talk about miracles. Don't talk about money. Don't talk about any of that stuff. Just get to the nice, cute statements of Jesus, and that's it. That's an agenda the Antichrist has for the church. I will not bow. I refuse to do church without the power of God. I refuse to hold to some watered-down, neutered version of Christianity that actually is an, an insult to what Jesus paid a high price to usher into the earth. Jesus didn't come to build another religion. Jesus came to institute his body on the church, which essentially would carry his power to its generation and set people free from all the power of the devil, destroying the works of the devil. I refuse to bow to that agenda. There's the abortion agenda. F uh, freedom of choice in the area of abortion, which I never understood because it... it it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with reproductive rights, woman's right. Abortion is not a human right. Abortion is not a reproductive right. Abortion is not even a woman's right. When you touch on abortion, that's, you're, you're essentially uprooting a seed that God desires to plant on the earth that carries its own right. And that seed is that child, that unborn child. And so you're seeing now the greatest amount of murder and bloodshed ever witnessed in the entirety of the human race take place before us. And why do you think? Why do you think the devil's upping this as the day of Christ approaches? Because prophecy states that in the last days, 
there's going to be sons and daughters that are going to prophesy. When Moses was going to hit the scene on the earth, what did the devil steer Pharaoh to do? To kill every child under two years old. To uproot the seed of divine potential that God had wired Moses' life with. When Jesus came as the mighty deliverer for the human race, what did the devil steer up Herod to do? Uproot, uproot Jesus. Get rid of the seed that God had already promised would come through Eve. From your seed, one will come that will crush Satan's head. And so he went after the seed. It's harder to cut a tree down when it's a 300-year-old, 18-foot-wide tree like the redwoods I saw in California. It's easy to take that thing down when it's just a seed in the ground. You just got to dig it up a little and uproot it. But once it's grown roots deep and wide, it's hard to cut that thing down. Well, why do you think the devil's trying to, in that antichrist spirit of the age, trying to promote abortion more than ever before because he understands that there is going to be more seeds of divine deliverers and divine agents and prophesiers that are going to be born of woman in these last days before the return of Christ than ever before. And so he's trying to snuff it out. He's trying to uproot it. He's trying to deal with the problem before it becomes a great, a, a, a great, a greater problem. You're seeing that take place. That's an antichrist agenda. And if you've bought into that abortion garbage, well, you know, there are some cases that, no, there's no cases. There is not one case where abortion is, and that's how the devil tries to get people to compromise, even within the church. Well, no, I don't want to believe in abortion like that, but, you know, there are cases. That's a child. Even when it comes through horrible things like rape or incest or anything like that, that's still a child. You know, I went to, to Bible college with a, a, now a pastor who was the product of a rape, and the mom was going to go get an abortion, but the Lord said don't, and now he's a, he's a great pastor, loves the Lord, and is leading many people to Christ. Anytime a woman gets an abortion, they are essentially, they're not just killing a life. They are removing something that God desired to plant in that generation that would essentially bring a generational blessing. Because everybody carries the potential for generational blessing. There's a singer called Jason Upton. I just heard his testimony the other week. Jason Upton um, has a testimony where, where she was... Uh, she, she was, uh, I think she was a Christian. She had just freshly gotten saved. She fell back into sin momentarily, slept with a man, ended up getting pregnant, was going to go to an abortion clinic, and there was a rich man that was going to pay for her abortion, and she ended up saying, you know what? No, I feel, I feel this child special. And so instead of getting the abortion, she wrote in a journal um, everything that she felt that this child would do, and it all had to do with singing, and he's now a worshiper. And then she gave him up for a, a, a adoption, took that book that she had prophesied a bunch of things in, gave it to the adoption in, uh, uh, clinic or industry or whatever, so that whenever he was of age, he can come and retract it and read it for himself. Well, he was about like 32 when he went to read that, and he read, and everything she wrote down on that paper, everything she wrote down in that diary, everything she wrote down was happening in his life. From the minute detail to the major details. God brought it all to pass. And so anything that would 
devalue life is an antichrist spirit of this age. I will not bow. I'm not bowing. The Bible says, open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all that are appointed to die. I'm not bowing. I'm not just, and I'm not going to be silent either. I'm just not going to, you know, stay in the corner, not bowing, just standing. I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to be silent about issues like this. You have, a, you have a lot of churches in the church, a lot of pastors in the church, where they're not, they're not vocal about these things. Well, I don't feel like it's my place. If you're a Christian, it's your place. When there's no light, that's where darkness happens. That's where darkness moves in. When the church is silent, the devil gets very loud. But when the church opens up its mouth in boldness, the devil and his influence subsides. Not for that agenda. What other agendas are there? Same-sex agenda. The LGBTQIA, WXYZ, Batman symbol, Superman symbol, and every other symbol. I don't know how many letters they've got so far. They just put plus at the end of it. That agenda is an antichrist spirit. Why? We read in Romans 1. God gave them up to a vile passion, and they exchanged the natural use, a man then burning in lust for other men, and a woman burning in lust for other women. And I know, you know, YouTube don't like this. I might get a strike. I don't care. I don't care. I don't live for YouTube. YouTube is not Jesus Christ. No man can serve two masters. You either serve, and there's a lot of neutered preachers. I won't say that. I don't want my YouTube to get bad. Did YouTube call you into the ministry? Are you going to stand before, uh, who's the YouTube, who's the Google guy? Are you going to stand before the Google CEO one day and give an account for everything you've done in the flesh? No. You know who's going to stand before God? The Google CEO, and you're going to stand before God. And I made up my mind. I'm not bowing to a little bit of, you know what Paul had to go through? Paul had to go through stones being flung at his head. And you're worried because your five-star Google rating is going to go down to a 3.8 because someone didn't like what you said? You're worried because you had a perfect track record on YouTube and now you're getting a strike? They suspended you for a month? You're worried because of that? I'm not bowing. Not bowing to the pressure of social media and what they think is right. Woe to men that call good evil and evil good. Woe to men. Nebuchadnezzar tried to do the same thing. He applied the same pressure. And you, you look at it. It's, it's invaded every sector of society. You can't watch a television show anymore without two men kissing. There's a show my, I used to love watching with my kid. It's called Camp Cretaceous. It was the most bearable thing I can watch with my son. Everything else was just like, I, I, I can't. But this one was actually interesting. It's Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, so it's like dinosaurs and stuff, and it was well done. We watched about two or three seasons, and then finally season four comes around, and guess what? They have two, like, 13-year-old kids, two girls that end up burning in lust for one another, and they start kissing on the show. 13-year-old girls. And this show is rated 5-plus or 4-plus. How are you going to do that? Don't tell me they're not, it's not deliberate. Don't tell me it's not intentional. Don't tell me that that's not a, a demonic agenda directed towards our children so that they're desensitized towards pure sexuality and now they start to say, oh, that's not that bad. That's not that bad. Because they're so overexposed to it all. That's what the enemy tries to do and it's what he tried to do in, Dan, in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's day. Try to... 
You, you know, in the Liberal Party of Canada, you can't even run. You can't even run as a political candidate in any of the writings throughout the land unless you agree to same-sex marriage. Can't even run because that's their values. Can't even run. And there are a lot of um, great political candidates that ended up leaving the Liberal Party because their conscience. Economically, we agree with the, they agreed with the liberal policies and stuff, but when it came to morality, they couldn't wrap their mind around it, and they stopped. They, they changed into a different party. That's called having a backbone. And I'm telling you, the pressure is only going to get greater. And the consequences, they already in Canada, as a preacher, as a pastor, if you say what I'm saying... It's not a strike on YouTube. You can get heavily fined. If you tell a transgendered person who comes to you for help, saying, I don't, I'm having these thoughts, and I don't want to have these thoughts anymore, and you actually set out to help them and tell them the Bible made male and female, and the way you were born is the way God wanted you to be. You say that, you can actually be charged with something called the... Um, conversion therapy act and you can have jail time for that for the first time in our nation's history you can go to jail for standing up for what is right and eventually as the day of christ approaches it's not just going to be jail it's going to be heavier things public public scourging i'm sure that's going to come back public some sort of public consequence not just jail or a fine i mean like a physical consequence to set you out as like an example to everyone else. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. Bow or you're going to burn. What did they do? Nebuchadnezzar, this is an easy thing for us to answer. Why was it easy? Because they already set it up in their mind. I will not buy. Bow. And I pray in the name of Jesus that God's going to put a grace on you even now to settle it in your spirit today. No matter what they try to do, no matter what they pressure me to do, no matter what they oppose me on, no matter what Bible institution or precept or statute or commandment that they say you can't do, I will do, I will not bow, I will stand, I will burn for Jesus until the day comes. What happened when they made that decision? The Bible says they were thrown in the burning fiery furnace and who, who's the one that burnt? Not one of them. The only thing that burnt was the ropes that bound them. And that burning furnace turned into an air conditioning unit. And they walked around. You know, I don't know why. When you don't bow, who showed up in the flames? The fourth man, Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ, showed up. When you don't bow, God will be with you. When you make a decision to be upright and to, to live for God despite its consequences... God makes a decision to be with you. Not just be around you, to be with you. To join you in the fire. Hallelujah. To join you in the fire so that you don't burn. They didn't suffer. See, anything the devil threatens you with, when God comes on the scene, you don't even, you don't even suffer it. And then the ones that accuse them and set them up, those evil high of officials they're the ones that got thrown into the fire they're the ones that burnt and then the decree was changed i'm standing i'm standing against the agendas of the antichrist in my age the abandoned israel agenda that's an antichrist agenda 
Israel is uh, not God's chosen people. Israel doesn't deserve to be a nation. That's against the Bible. End time prophecy is I'm going to plant Israel in their land again and they'll never be uprooted. So anything that says I'm going to uproot you, you know that's not God speaking. That's the devil. That's an anti-Christ spirit. That anti-Israel agenda that we're seeing ramp up in the spirit of the age. The one world government agenda. Get rid of sovereign autonomous nations, independent nations, and bring everyone under one world government, one world umbrella, with one world leader, and one world economy, and one world military, and one world religion. All of that, you're seen being pushed now. Is a spirit of Antichrist. I'm not bowing. I'm not bowing. That's why the devil wants to knock the United States out. That's why he's trying the most. That's in the history of the U.S., there's never been as much political distress and turmoil as there is now. And the reason why is because as long as the U.S. is standing, there's still strong independent nations. The U.S. is a strong independent nation. It doesn't need to rely on anything else. Every resource that the United States needs to survive, oil, gas, trees, lumber, gold, everything, they've got it all. And so they're trying to get the nation to collapse, to bring it under this one world government and one world economy, so that eventually it'll lead to the, the rise of the Antichrist. You'll come to a world scene. It's essentially the same spirit that you're seeing or that you saw assembled in the days of Babel. In the days of Babel, they tried to unify everyone, build a tower that will reach the heavens. Essentially what they were saying was, we want to build us. We want to grow mankind. We are going to unite man to man and we're going to show God we don't need you. We can survive by ourselves. We're going to build a tower that reaches even above the heavens. And that's what you're seeing now. The guy that's Carl Schwab's right-hand man, uh, Avi Hamini or whatever his name is, he, he's on record saying that God's a fictional story and he's, he's just a crutch for people to lean on. But when, there's, when you come to the realization that there is no God, there is no heaven. There is no spiritual realm. That it's a great deal of freedom that comes to you. And if you'll just believe like that, we can finally get rid of the religion plague that's come to plague this world. And we can come under, in unity, under one umbrella and finally have progress for humanity. Justin Trudeau is on record saying Christians that believe in God and heaven are the greatest hindrance to progress in our nation. All these crazy things. It's the spirit of Antichrist. There is a pressure in this world today to accept these things. And if you don't accept it, just be quiet about it. Those that bow, burn. Those that don't bow will never burn. And I prophesy in Jesus' name, you're going to have grace to never bow. And as such, you'll never burn in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. That's right, Yuval Noah Harari. That's his name. Number two decision you need to make. I will not bend. I will not bend. So it's not just I will not bow. I'm not bending. I'm not compromising, baby. I'm not, I'm not, not going to be a crooked arrow. Because that's what some people are. They didn't bow, but they're crooked. Try and shoot a crooked arrow. You can't get it on target. It's always going to hit some errant object. You know who was a great compromiser? Je uh, Judges 16, Samson. Let me read this story. Now Samson went to Ga Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her, had sex with her. 
Compromise number one. When the Gazites heard Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it's daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. And he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. Delilah, you can might as, might as well call her compromise. Compromise. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said, entice him. In Proverbs chapter 5, it talks about sin's enticement. If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come, let us go, don't go with them. Delilah was that enticer, the one who led Samson to great compromise and essentially, or eventually, his defeat. Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, pause there. That's an odd request. Hey, Samson, tell me, how are you so strong? How can I bind you so I can overpower you and afflict you? I'm sorry. But if my wife started to talk to me like that, I'm not drinking my coffee in the morning. She's poisoning your food. I'm not, I'm not trusting that lady anymore. Samson had zero spiritual discernment. Absolutely no spiritual discernment. He essentially was the example of someone who carried great power, but had absolutely no character. Great power, but zero character, zero integrity, and zero maturity. He was not a bright person. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings and not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any man. Two things to note here. One, Delilah said, Tell me what I have to do to bind you. Compromise is the devil's opportunity to bring you into bondage. Let me make that statement again. Compromise is the devil seeking opportunity to bring you into bondage. Anytime the devil tempts you to sin, to compromise, or to bend on certain values that the Bible says we should have, it is the enemy seeking an access point in your armor to bring you into bondage and to strip you of strength. Remember, her task was to do what? Essentially, this is what compromise does. To overpower, to bind him, and to entice him. Entice him overpower him and bind him to bring bondage spiritual bondage begins when there is spiritual compromise in the area of holiness in the area of integrity in the area of bending anything that the scripture prescribes for us to do so he gives her a, a false claim essentially bind me with seven fresh bowstrings and I'll be like any other man so that's number two. Compromise will make you to be like any other man. Great people are people that live in integrity, void of compromise. Compromise will relegate you to be an ordinary person. 
Whereas if you stick to the Bible and stick to the word and stick to what God's telling you to do and refuse to bend or bow, you position yourself to be highly usable by God and be great in your generation. Whereas compromise relegates you from the position of greatness to the position of ordinary, regular, standard. I don't want to be standard. I don't want to be ordinary. That's one thing I prayed getting into the ministry. God, I don't want to be just like any other men. I don't want to just, just, I don't want to just be a regular teacher and preacher. I don't want to just be a, a ordinary minister of the gospel. I want to be strong. I want to do exploits for you. I want to be outstanding in my generation. I want to do great things for God. Well, you show God that you're able to do great things for him when you refuse to bend on the basics of the Bible. Compromise seeks to bring people in the bondage and compromise will lead you, will relegate you from being a great person in the kingdom to a mediocre person. I've never met a person of high integrity who's the same before the people and behind the scenes that is doing small things for God. Everyone that I know that does great things for God, they are people of integrity, people of holiness, people who have clean hands and a pure heart. They're the ones that can ascend the hill of the Most High God. So, skip on. They try to do it. It failed. Delilah said, look, you've mocked me now and you've told me lies. Tell me, what can I bind you with? I mean, this guy is not bright. A second time she says, she's not even like, she's not even hiding it. She's not saying, hey, what's up with your hair? Hey, what makes you so strong? It's, what makes you so strong? I want to know how I can bind you. I want to know how I can take you captive. I want to know how I can overpower you. It's not even something being done in secret. It's right out there in the open. He's too dull in his mind. Please tell me what you can buy, what, I, what you may be bound with. Well, if they buy me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I'll become weak and I'll be like any other man. Delilah took new ropes. It didn't do anything. He broke them off. Delilah said, you've mocked me now and you've told me these lies. Tell me one more time, what may I bind you with? Well, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, she wove it tightly, tried it, nothing happened. Verse 15, she said, how can you say I love you and you don't have your heart with me? You've mocked me three times. You've never told me what your great, where your great strength lies. And it came to pass, when she present, uh, pestered him daily, that's important here, when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her everything. Compromise is never an overnight thing. Even when you bend something, if you're bending something strong, it's hard to just bend it in one stroke. Oftentimes, you see something very tight being bent with multiple pushes in the same direction. That's how compromise happens. Rarely is compromise an overnight thing. Most of the time, compromise is the result of a consistence of temptation and the person being tempted not not dealing with the temptation. Compromise is never an overnight thing, 
It's the constant temptation pressing the person and that person not dealing with the temptation. How do you deal with temptation? Pray always that you enter not into temptation. You don't pray about it. You don't give it to God. You don't ask the Holy Ghost to, to break it off you. You kind of like entertain it. He entertained it. He entertained her enticement. When you entertain even the thoughts of compromise, eventually it's going to result in an actual compromised state of living. Compromise is rarely an overnight thing. Most of the time, it's a constant pestered, uh, a pestering and pressing of temptation that is not dealt with, and eventually it just births sinful activity and sinful living. And that's what happened. He said, no razor ever came upon my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. I'm if I'm shaven, my strength will leave me. I'll become weak, and I'll be like any other men. Again, compromise will remove the greatness of God that he's deposited on the inside of you. Compromise will literally eliminate your ability to be used mightily of the Lord. Compromise will strip you. Will strip you of any usability that you had in the eyes of God. When Elilah saw that she had told, he had told him all her, his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines. Come up once. He's told me everything. So they came and brought her money. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. So I'm not just not going to bow. I'm not just not going to bend. I'm not going to sleep. That'll be like a bonus one. I'm not going to sleep spiritually. I'm not entering into a spiritual slumber. A lot of people, that's what it is. They're good-hearted people. But they kind of like, in times of peace, they don't know how to handle peace. And they enter into a state of slumberhood spiritually. Don't pray quite like you should have. Don't read quite like you should have. And uh, you're not winning souls. You're not putting your best hand forward serving the local church. The Bible says in the year or in the season that kings went to war, David stayed home and stayed comforted. And that's when the enemy had opportunity to come and tempt him with the sin of Bathsheba. And it, it literally shipwrecked him for a season of his life. In the season where kings went to war, David stayed home. Make sure that in wartime, you're not sitting back reclined. Make sure. You know, Matthew 13 the Bible says the parable of the man who went to sow good seed. And when men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. When you are spiritually sleeping, it is opportunity for the enemy to come and sow distress. Come and sow tares amongst the wheat. Come and sow trouble. Come and sow turmoil. Come and sow sorrow and anguish and distraction. They woke up the next morning. Didn't we sow good seed? Where did all this bad seed come from? And Jesus said it was an enemy that did this. An enemy. While men slept, the enemy came in. Make sure you're not sleeping. I'm not just not bowing. I'm not just not bending. I'm not taking my foot off the pedal. I'm going to burn for Jesus. I, I'm going I'm to be a diligent, diligent servant of God on the earth. While men slept, while, she, while he slept, the men came in, and she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes. He gouged his eyes out. He couldn't see. Sin will literally strip you of the vision of heaven for your life. 
You'll have a hard time even reading things in the Bible and them making sense to you. Compromise. I'm telling you, a compromised Christian will have a hard time carrying any revelation of Christ or his word. He got his eye. The first thing they went for were his eyes. Because if you lose your eyes, you don't know where you're going. You abide in darkness. And you'll stumble over everything. So you see, compromised people, they're stumbling over everything. But great peace have they that love God's word. Love, love, not just confess, love it. Love it by keeping it. They will not stumble, the Bible says in Psalm 119. Great peace have they that love his word, and nothing will make them to stumble. The first thing they went for were his eyes. He lost his vision. He lost his ability to see. When you lose your ability to see, I'm talking about spiritually now, see the road ahead. See the vision of heaven. See the direction God has for you. When you lose your ability to see things spiritually, you, you abide in darkness. And that darkness, it swallows you up. That's where the enemy comes and he can put every snare in front of you and you'll, you'll, you'll hit him every single time. They bound him with bronze fetters. What does compromise do? Removes your spiritual vision and then they bound him. Brings affliction. Brings bondage. Every promise of God in the Bible is reserved only for those who serve God with all their heart, soul, and all their mind. A half-hearted Christian forfeits the full blessing. A half-hearted Christian will forfeit the full blessing of God. You cannot be 98% committed and receive 1% of God's blessing. For 100% of the blessing of God to be in your life, there has to be a 100% committal to Him. When you are compromised and live in a state of compromise, Zation, you essentially hold out your hands for the enemy to come and put handcuffs on you, and there's nothing the Lord will do about it until you, until you deal with the compromise. That's why you see a lot of frustrated Christians. I don't know why this isn't working. I don't know why I'm not, I've been believing God for this and that. Check, check your life. Do inventory. Because perhaps there's something that you're doing that the enemy has gained access into your life as a result of it. The enemy has gained, it's like an open door for him to come in and out at will. The Bible says we don't give the devil a foothold. Not even an inch. We don't give him one inch of real estate. Compromise gives the enemy real estate in your life. Gives him permission. That's what happened. As long as Samson lived an uncompromised life, the Philistines could not bind him, overpower him, or do anything about what he was doing. He always carried power to deal and dominion to deal with every Philistine he encountered. The moment he compromised is the moment he got put in the grinder of prison. Is the moment the Philistines handcuffed him and he had no ability. He lost all the divine strength necessary to fight. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. If you read the rest of the story, he prays, Oh Lord God, remember, I pray, strengthen me just this one more time that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistine for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of two of the middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, and one on his right, the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on, with, on the lords and all the people who were in it were in it. So the dead that he killed in his death were more than he had killed in his entire lifetime. Hallelujah. 
Samson is a type of the church. Started off strong. Started off in the anointing. Started off in the manifestation of God's power. But at some point, compromised. Lost the anointing. Lost the ability to prevail. But just like Samson, his hair grew again. There's been many people in the church that have compromised and have bent. What do I mean by bending? I mean, we believe in the Bible, but we're not going to talk about, you know, tongues in this church here. You're a bender. Well, we believe in the Bible. We just don't talk about miracles here. You're a bender. Well, we believe in the Bible. We just don't speak on healing here. You're a bender. We believe in the Bible. We just don't, you know, we don't talk, we don't say sin in this church. We like to use more palatable words. You're a bender. You're essentially a Christian weasel. You're a Christian chameleon. Whatever society says you should do, you do it with a Christian twist. That's what compromise is. We're, gonna, we're a cool church in this area. Now, nowadays, a cool church is essentially, you might as well just say, we've abandoned the Holy Ghost and we've adopted a more palatable form of Christianity which only appeals to the soul of man but has no power to help people. And now, I'm telling you, in these last days, the temptation for churches and ministers to bend in such a way is going to be more than ever. The temptation to be seen in the... Uh, in, in like the popular light as, as a cool church, as a trendy church. Oh, there, I like going, you know, there's, there's a church in Montreal that everyone I know that had a problem with holiness goes to. And they go there because there's no, there's no challenge. They go there because they're being pat on the back every day. Telling, hey, you're a sinner. It's how, it's how life is. You know, you're going to sin. Fish swim, sinner sin. You're going to keep sinning. And they're, they're comforted in it. They're pretty much told it's a normal part of life. You come to Good News Chapel, where my church is, you're not being told that. There's a standard. And the standard is not my pastor's standard. It's the Bible standard. Holiness is still the standard of God in 2024. Whether it's acceptable or not in the world's view. Still is the standard of God. So you're going to see in the last days... The temptation to kind of morph in to that trendy, seeker-sensitive type of church. Come as you are. Come as you are, but don't leave as you are. That type of church, you're going to see there's going to be a, temp there's going to be a lot more that fall into that category. No prayer nights. The only Bible they read is maybe like a subsection of one scripture and then their messages is just littered with Forbes quotes, Pew Research quotes, and all kinds of other quotes. That's You've bent. I'm not bending. And you're going to see more and more there's going to be an attack against, just like we've seen less and less scriptures read on Sunday morning, there's going to be ultimately, and we've already seen it now, an attack against the infallibility of scripture. 
Well, we don't really believe the whole Bible is inspired. There are some parts. Just the Gospels are inspired. Paul's letters were prone to error. He was kind of an angry man, so I think that seeped into his letters a bit. And, you know, this was written by man, and man is faulty, and man is flawed. So these scriptures do have some... You're going to see there's an attack against infallibility of scriptures, and it's only going to increase and pick up. Challenging the divinity of the Bible, the, the... the, the divinity of the scriptures, the inspiration of the scriptures. And there's a lot of churches, that's, that's how they are now. They, they, liberal theologians. Liberal theologians. So the church is kind of like a type of, of Samson. Started off strong, compromised, ended up kind of uh, losing everything, including his eyes. But just like the hair began to grow again, I'm telling you, the hair is growing back on the church today. The anointing is coming back to the church today. God is going to move in these last days like he did in Samson's last moments of time where he killed more in his death than he did in his life. The church is going to win more souls in our final few chapters on this earth until the church age closes up that we've ever, than we've ever won in the history of the church on planet earth. Hallelujah. The hair is growing again. I want you to write that in the comment section. The hair is growing again. That's right. I will not bow. I will not bend. I will not bend. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of divine healing. I'm not ashamed of miracles. I'm not ashamed of righteousness. I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not ashamed of God's power. And then number three, we finish with this. I will burn. I will burn. I will not bow. I will not bend. But here's what I will do. I will burn. I want you to write that in the comment section. I will burn. Leviticus 6.12, the fire on the altar will never go out. Will never go out. That's a command God gave the priests to make sure that their spiritual fervor never goes out. In 2024, I'm telling you, there's going to be a requirement for Christians to carry the fire of God more than ever before. Matthew 24 talks about the ten virgins. Five had no fire. Five brought oil to keep the fire burning. Jesus himself said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of this world. But when I go, you are the light of the world, and you are a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden, and you are a lampstand. A lampstand. What's a lampstand? You know, when Jesus was talking about you being a light, he wasn't talking about an electric light. He was talking about a torch. Because in those days, they didn't have electricity. They only had lampstands, torches. Essentially, Jesus was saying, you are my burning torches on the earth. You are my flames of of fire on the earth. You are a lampstand. And he said, don't take that lampstand and put it under a bed to hide it, but put it on a lampstand that it might give light to everyone that's in the house. You're a lampstand. You're a burning torch in your generation. What does it mean to be on fire for God? Because people, I want the fire, I want the fire. What does it mean to be on fire for God? Simple. It means you have like a divine focus 
on what God's called you to do, and you're not turning from it to the left and to the right. Only the fire of God can burn that into a person. Paul says in Galatians 3, he says, you guys began in the spirit, but you're now trying to finish off in the flesh. You Christianity is a fire religion. It started with fire, tongues of fire, in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. It's been sustained through the ages by fire. You shall be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. And guess what? In the last days, Jesus said in Matthew 25, only those that make sure to fan into flame that holy deposit of God on the inside of them will endure to the end. That's why in Acts 4, when things got tough and push came to shove and government were hunting down Christians in Acts chapter 4, what did they pray? Lord, take note of their threats. They were real threats. And not threats of them shutting down our YouTube. Threats of them dying. Threats of them being killed. Take note of their threats. And what did they pray? Lord, just eliminate all our enemies. No, they didn't pray that. They said, grant that you're a servant. You know, sometimes we focus too much on elimination of the enemy. Lord, get rid of this problem. Lord, get rid of this in, in government. Lord, get rid of this. And I'm not against praying prayers of imprecation. I pray them. But ultimately, you see the early church praying, and they weren't saying, Lord, we pray for the head of Gamaliel, and we pray for the head. They didn't pray that. What did they pray? Grant that your church may be given boldness to speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are done through the head. Uh, the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. And after they had prayed, the place where they had gathered were shaken and they were filled again with the Holy Ghost and fire and began to speak the word again with boldness. So I'm not just starting in the fire and then living in the smoke and then eventually just being a bit of embers. No, if that's you, you started in the fire and you're, you've become like, like a, um, a, a put-out fire where it's just like the embers, the residue, just coals that are barely surviving. I'm telling you, the Lord is going to release the oxygen of His Spirit on you today. And this Word, the wood of the, of the Word of God is going to come on that fire and you're going to be ignited afresh and anew more than ever before. You're going to carry, you are going to carry a fire in your generation. You're not going to be a pushover Christian. You're not going to be a compliant. I, I hate that. During the last three years, that was everything you heard. We're not in compliance. You're not in, you need to be compliant. You need to comply. You need to comply. I'll, look, I'll comply all you want with any type of government law you want to. Like, I pay my taxes. I'll comply with anything you want. But if your law obstructs me from serving this law, I ain't complying one bit, and I ain't apologizing for it anyway. Romans 13, brother. You know, everyone that said Romans 13, you know they got no fire. They got nothing. They're a smoldering wick. There's no fire in that. Romans 13. Romans 13 is not God saying, hey, listen, if Caesar tells you to have sex with someone that's not your wife, you go ahead and do it. If Caesar tells you to cheat, if Caesar tells you to kill, if Caesar, he's not saying do everything Caesar tells you to do, even if it violates the word and violates your conscience because God appointed Caesar. That's not what it's saying. It's saying government is there for our good and they are appointed by God, given God's authority to be in government. But 
If they come out of alignment in serving the good of society and begin to challenge the morality of scriptures, then they're no longer, they're no longer to be heeded. They're no longer to be listened to. They're no longer to be complied with. It's not compliance even at the risk of violating the commandments of Scripture. It's compliance as long as it doesn't violate the commands of Scripture. Acts 4, when they were brought before the Sanhedrin, and they said, don't teach or preach in the name of Jesus. You know, for all those people that said, we should comply with government, they're telling us to close our churches, we should comply. Well then, why are you trying to smuggle Bibles into China, where it's illegal to have Bibles, or North Korea, where it's illegal to have Bibles? Why are you trying to smuggle Bibles into Cuba? Why are you trying to do all these things that violates the government of other nations, but then, when your own government says, do something against God's word, oh no, we got to obey. I'll tell you why. It's because if you get caught in Cuba, they can't take you to court. But if you get caught here, there's actual consequence. People that compromise, people that bow, people that bend, people that got no fire are people that will do anything for God as long as there's no sacrifice, no consequence, no penalty. As long as it's under my terms. As long as I can do it without it infringing my own level of personal comfort. But that's where the fire of God does something to a person. It burns out the desire to please people. It burns out the desire to care about any consequence in serving God. Put me to the burning stake. Put me on a... a uh, execution squad. Put me on a firing squad. Put me on an upside down cross. Put me on the saw. Put me anywhere you want to put me. I'm not bowing. It's only the fire that can do that. Look at how 11 of the 12 disciples, how they went. Uh, Andrew was sawn in two. Peter hung on an upside down cross. Uh, Thomas went to India, thrown over a cliff and beaten with a, a bat that was wrapped around with wires of webs. And they did it. Why? Because they carried fire. They carried fire. And that fire put something in them. That they didn't consider the hostility of men. Let me read something. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulation. They were made a mockery. They were the laughing stock by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. You had people that didn't come to church because they were going to get a $1,500 fine. And you think you are actually got fire to stand in the last days when the Antichrist is going to do way more than just a $1,500 sign? Yeah, there's some people who didn't take a $1,500 sign. They're just church goers. They're not even, like some of them are not even saved. And they think like, you know, if Jesus comes back and I go through the tribulation, I'll just not take the, max, max, the mark of the beast. You... You, you complied under a $1,500 fine. You honestly think you're going to have the filter. You're going to have the boldness to not, to not accept the mark of the beast. 
You're on something else. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. You know what that means? Oh, you want to seize that? Take it. Rodney Howard Brown says this. When everything means nothing to you, God will give you everything. When everything means nothing to you. What does that mean? You want to take my property? I'm going to fight. We're not going to roll over and play dead. But I'm saying if push comes to shove and that type of government rises up and they say you gotta, well, you'll keep your property, you just can't preach this, this, and this. You, or how about this? This is more likely, actually. You can keep your nonprofit status as a ministry as long as you stop preaching on this, this, and this. You know what I say? I'll wrap up my CRA documentation that states I'm a nonprofit, wrap it up in a nice little scroll manner, Dip it in some Vaseline, put it in a nice envelope, lick it, put it right to Justin Trudeau's office, and say, feel free to use this as a suppository. That's how we would treat that threat. I'm not, we're not, <laughs> the Bible says they joyfully accepted the plundering of good. There's some people, we, won't, we don't talk like that because, you know, if, uh, if, uh, if the government hears that we said that, They'll, uh, they'll take our nonprofit status and we'll have to start paying taxes. Look, even if they took my nonprofit status and I had to start paying taxes, God would make it so that an extra 40 or 50% of money comes in every year. God will, God will come. You think God's stupid? Do you think God is stupid? Do you think God is literally like an, uh, um, a horrible economist? First of all, his son was a Jew. And Jews are great economists. They understand money. They know how to run money. I had, I had someone tell me once, uh, he was in a um, board meeting, and they were planning a crusade. And uh, they were talking about the money required for the crusade. And they said, where are we going to get all that money? Where do you think you're going to get all that money? And uh, the man of God said, well, I know a Jew. And he said, who's this Jew? We would love to know him. We would love to know him. We want to connect with him. I mean... Uh, who's this Jew? Oh, he's amazing. He's got billions and billions. He's pretty much on, on, on any resources, pretty much limitless resources. You have to connect me with this guy because we have some vision we want to fund. He's like, oh, you already know him. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. I know a Jew in heaven who has unending resources. And if you think I'm going to bend or bow because of a threat of I'm going to have to pay taxes from the ministry... Uh, you got the wrong person. The Lord will make it so that even more money comes in. Even more money comes in. Because why? If you don't bow, you won't burn. Every, it's like, if you look at it in history, all the consequences the devil tried to bring to God's people in pressuring them to bow, they never, most of the time never suffered the consequence of it. It was all just intimidation factor. Every time they actually made a stand, it led to their promotion. It led to their increase. That's what happened to our church. Our church stayed open throughout all of COVID. And you would think that with all the negative press and all the negative words spoken even by other churches, we don't know about those guys at Good News Chat, but we don't know why they're doing that. They're just prideful people. Romans 13. You would think that all of that would actually lead to less people coming to our church and we'd have to like kind of move. Like Pastor Steve would have to just move from Montreal and go somewhere else because he like ruined his credibility here. It actually did the complete opposite. 
We have more people coming to church than ever before. We, I think we just crossed almost a thousand. I think we were like, what were we at? A thousand? Like a couple of weeks ago between everyone that was in the building? We did, right? We crossed a thousand. Our, in the 102-year history of our church, we've never eclipsed a thousand people, and we finally did. Hallelujah. You don't lose serving God. You put God's word first, you'll never end up last. You never go backwards when you move forward with God. No matter the attempts to try and suppress you, crush you, oppress you, God's hand of promotion will always lift you up. They joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and a more enduring possession for yourself in heaven. So don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you. You have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you receive the promise. And that's what we're going to stop on today. Endurance. We're going to pray that God gives you endurance for 2024 and beyond that. We're going to pray that God gives you a spiritual stamina to run and not grow weary. Remember, the Bible says God is the everlasting God. He neither wearies nor faints. And when we abide in Him, that same ability to not weary, to not faint, to not give up, to not quit, that same ability is conferred on us so that we too, even as Jesus endured the suffering of the cross and He never backed down and He never bent and He never bowed, he kept on burning to the very end. That same divine ability, that same divine nature is going to overwhelmingly seize your spirit today. And I'm telling you, you will not bow. You will be a person that does not bend the knee. You're not going to be a compromising person. You're going to be an uncompromisingly righteous person. And as a result, the reward, remember we just said, don't cast away your confidence. Don't cast away your uncompromisingly righteous behavior because God has a promise of great reward. So as God gives you the grace to burn for him all through the year, that's what we're expecting. Reward. Reward. My expectation for 2024 is it's going to be horrible for the unrighteous. It's going to be bad for the world. I'm telling you, election year, things are going to ramp up very quickly. Already we're seeing, there was a guy yesterday decapitated his father, put his head in a bag, and did a YouTube video and he stated, I'm a Christian and all that. I don't know if he actually, obviously he wasn't. I don't know if he even grew up in a Christian home. He could have very well have just been like a Democrat plant essentially. But all that to say is that that's crazy. And he went on record. I'm a, uh, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And I'm telling you, Trump, Trump is going to be in power and the Democrats are, are not to be trusted. He said this, and he was pointing to his father's head. This is a real story. This this man was my father, and he was a Democrat official. And this is what we need to do. And he was calling for, obviously, that's demonic, that's stupid. And I'm in no way calling for any type of physical warfare, and we should never. But I'm just saying that that type of behavior, that type of behavior is going to ramp up. That type of sadistic, crazy, twisted, demonic, demonic, uh, demonic things, those things are going to ramp up this year. And for the world, it's going to get burdensome, heavy, and there'll be temptation to quit. But for the righteous, it's just going to be a lifting, one lifting after another lifting. One promotion after another promotion. One evident mark of favor after another evident mark of favor. 
Before you even had enough time to laugh about the last thing God did, there's already something new to laugh about. Hallelujah. That'll be your story in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the fire of God would come upon those watching right now. That spirit, soul, and body, they'd be consumed by your all-consuming fire. Lord, that they would keep their eyes stayed on you all through the year. And that you'd keep them in peace. Lord, that you'd give them the power to make these three decisions. To never bow at the pressure of any Antichrist agenda. To never bend at the temptation of compromise or becoming suitable for others. And Father, to burn all through the year. To burn for you. Lord, to be a, a zealot, a spiritual zealot, a radical for the kingdom of God that'll put their hand to the plow and not look in any other direction, to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow you no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Knowing that whatever the cost of obedience might be up front, the reward always far exceeds it all. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. And I feel to tell you that right now. There's some of you, you, God's spoken to you to do certain things, to change certain things, to eliminate certain people from your life and to, to, to modify your behavior, but you've kind of struggled with it because it's going to cost you something up front. Let me tell you, whatever God requires up front in the cost of obedience will always be overwhelmingly, uh, not overwhelmingly, whatever the cost may be up front will always be severely less than the reward God will put in your hands. The reward for following God is always exponentially greater than the cost of obedience to God. Amen. 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 If you're watching now, you need to give your life to Jesus. Do that with me now. If you've never done that, you need to do that. If you have, but you've compromised, maybe you fall under the, the, one of the categories of uh, what we discussed today. I'm not here to beat you down. I'm here to help you. And I want to help you. The best way I can help you and the best way I know to help you is to connect you to Christ. Rededicate your life to Jesus today. If you have bowed, get back up. If you have bent, straighten up. If you're not burning, get the fire today. God is gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love and compassion. He's not mad at you. He wants to set you ablaze. He wants to change you. He wants to do something for you today that will carry you through until Jesus calls you home. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Christ from the dead, and I believe Jesus is Lord of my life. Come live in my heart. Fill me with your power. Forgive me of sin. I renounce the world, and I renounce the devil. I receive Christ. I am saved, and I'm never looking back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. First link that pops up is I just got saved. Click that. Fill it out. I want you to get that information to me so that I can uh, send you a gift free of charge. It's a uh, Bible, some reading material. Going to help you set yourself up for uh, success in this Christian walk. I want to get that to you as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. Do that now, salvationnow.ca slash or not slash, it'd be the first link on the homepage. I just got saved. Click it. 
I look forward to hearing from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.